Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel. You know that the partnership game is not easy, but it's so worth it. If you're struggling with attracting or maintaining partnerships, go to speakingofpartnership.com right now, click on the big red button, and attend a free webinar on the secret to starting your ideal partnership today. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I am super excited to welcome back one of our all-time favorite guests, Duana. I, I said it wrong even. Duana Welch. Duana, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Ken, and uh, you did just fine. Thank you. Thank you. I, I will continue to practice throughout the show. <laughs> well, for any of you who didn't hear our original interview with Duana, let me just kind of give you some background. Dr. Duana Welch is the original Love Factually author, and she's a coach. And she's known for using social science to solve real life relationship issues. She's been a professor at universities in Florida and California and in Texas over the last 20 years. She's contributed to NPR, PBS, Psychology Today, and numerous other outlets and podcasts and videos. Her first book, Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps from I Wish to I Do, is now out globally in five languages. And her second book in this series, Love Factually for Single Parents and Those Dating Them, is specifically geared for finding the right partner, not only for readers, but for their families as well. Her book series, Love Factually Singles, just came out this month and it provides science-based dating advice in single topic titles that fit readers' desires to save time and money and to read content specific to their needs. And all her books rely on science rather than opinion to help men and women find and keep the right partner. And thanks to science and to Vic Harriton, she is happily married. Duena, it's so great to have you back. Can you just like kind of give us a glimpse on how you got started down this path of applying social science to relationships? Absolutely. Well, the really short version is I sucked at dating. <laughs> I wanted some dating help and all the books that existed were opinion books. And I was getting my PhD in psychology at the time. And I thought, why are there no science books about this? Surely someone has done science on what it takes to get into and keep a really healthy, thriving relationship, that, like what I want. And it turned out there was actually a lot of science on it, but nobody had written books about it. And so I originally looked into the research and wrote a journal where I would make deals with myself. You know, what science is, is what works for most people most of the time. That's what social science is in a nutshell. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do what has worked for most people most of the time, and I'm going to track my results. And if I don't like it, I can stop doing it anytime. My, my life's my own experiment. It worked wonderfully well. And um, my husband and I have now been married for 11 years and very happily so. And um, he really encouraged me to write a book. And at the time, um, my son was really little and I didn't want to take time away. I didn't want to lose work-life balance. So I said, well, I don't want to do a book, but I want to do a blog so that people can just have um, 
this information for free because it was a running joke with everyone who knew me that if you say anything about relationships, Dwayne is going to say, well, you know, there was a study that found. So I clearly had this pent up need to share what I knew. So I started a blog called Love Science and that got picked up. Um, people start reading it all over the world and a demand built for a book. So finally, my first book came out. My first Love Factually book was out January 7th of 2015. My second Love Factually, the Single Parents Edition, came out January 7th of 2019. And I even have a new uh, Love Factually singles line that just came out February 14th of 2019, where it's kind of like if you buy one song instead of the whole downloading the whole CD or album, uh, you can buy part of my work instead of downloading entire 350 to 380 page books. So um, I also do have a client practice around the world. And all this came out of my own need and desire to find a really healthy partnership. And I actually didn't plan for the rest of this to happen. <laughs> I love that. That's so awesome. And, and, you know, oftentimes that's the case, right? We do it because we needed it for ourselves. And all of a sudden we realized we weren't alone. <laughs> there are a lot of people that needed this. And I want to clarify something for our yeah. listeners, because I mentioned earlier when I was introducing Duana, I said, you know, thanks to science and Vic Harriton. Vic is her husband. That's why we're thanking Vic, because that's why she's happily married. So I wanted to clear that up because some of you are probably going, who's this Vic guy? And you're probably Googling him and trying <laughs> to find out who this man is. And it's, it's her husband. That's why we thanked him. Um, so yeah. I love what you did with this and, and you know, brought this and, and shared this with people because it is. I mean, there are there's a lot of opinion. There's a lot of people that are, oh, you know, I, I, I found the love of my life. Now I think I'm in charge and I know how this works for everyone. But it's not. It's just one case that happened for them. And they're generous. They want to share this. They want the, somebody else to have this happiness. But it's just an opinion or it's just one little experience. It's not a broad-based study. So I'm curious because obviously your, your first book was more on, on a general level of, of love factually across the board. Why did you make the single parent the focus of your second book? Well, I write books that I needed and books that didn't exist. And I was a single parent. So I used the information in Love Factually to find um, the father of my child. And I really, really loved him a lot. Unfortunately, um, science can't help you much if you won't validate your own standards. I married him even though he was, he had a long history of addictions. Now, some people do overcome that, but he had not overcome it, and he was very good at hiding it. So we wound up getting a divorce, and uh, unfortunately, our only child was born with a chronic condition, which my child, who's now 17, he prefers that I tell you it's actually a disease. It's a very serious condition, and it's lifelong. So um, I was under a tremendous amount of stress with that. And I really wanted to get it right the next time around. I had a huge need to make sure that um, I attended to the special challenges that are involved in single parenting and in finding the right partner, not just for me, but my child. And event frankly, initially, I really thought the first love factually, even when I decided to write a book, I thought, I'll write one and that'll be it. And then my husband, Vic, kept saying, you need to write the single parents book because you know it's not the same. And I said, yeah, I do know it's not the same, but I also know that there's a lot of stuff that I'm really tired of thinking about, um, a lot of my past that's uncomfortable and painful for me. Those were not the most fun years of my life. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I'm going to have to come clean about more of my own story in this second book if I do it. And I did. I had to admit to a lot more mistakes. Um, I had to, you know, I had to eat a lot of crow, as we say in the South. Yep. And, um, and admit to some of the real screw-ups that I had, had done, including screw-ups after Vic and I met. And I think that one of the reasons that people identify with my books is that I'm not coming from the Mount Olympus of perfection. The whole reason I learned science was because I needed it, not because I was great at it. Uh, and it, it turns out that the wonderful thing about relationship science is you can hear about it today and start applying it right now and see instant results in your life. It's just amazing. And so, um, that's kind of that's kind of the story of why I have this next book. There are a lot of challenges that single parents face that other people don't. For example, before children, I call it BC. Before children, <laughs> you just go out whenever you want to. Yep. You know, BC dating is really different. You can be spontaneous. You can date whenever you want. You can have people over to your house or your apartment if you feel like it. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to introduce somebody or not introduce somebody or when you're going to introduce somebody or what this means for an entire set of people and not just for you or whether this person's safe to have around your children, whether this person is acting like a nice person, but maybe they'll prefer their own kids and not yours if they have them. There's just this whole host of factors and features. Plus, most people who don't have kids or even most people who do, they're not so thrilled about your kids right at first. So there's that hurdle to jump over. And many of us, by the time we start single parent dating, we're a little bit older than we were beforehand. And so um, we may feel, oh, we've been out of the game for a while. We don't know what we're doing. Technology's changed. Has dating changed that much? Has human nature changed? What's changed? I don't know. So there are all these, these uh, differences, and they really needed to be addressed in their own book. And now there is one. I love that. And and I'm I was thrilled when I saw the title of this because it's a huge huge thing. And as we know, you know, over half of marriages end up in divorce, so there's lots of single parents out there. And I would add to the list you were just sharing of one of the other things I hear all the time, right? Is well, because I have to get a sitter and do different things than I did when I didn't have children, I'm more picky about who I even bother to go meet for coffee. Do I put all that time and energy and get a sitter and do all that stuff when I don't really know this person yet and I'm not 100% sure it's gonna work. So we want this like more information and we restrict our options because of what it takes. It takes more to, to go on a date. So yeah, lots of pieces to this puzzle and I'm glad that, that you, you're bringing this forward because there probably is stuff on this but I, I haven't seen much around it. And it's probably one of the biggest question I get is, you know, it's so different or we wear it like an albatross. I'm a single yeah. parent. Well, it, yeah, it was painful. I mean, yeah. this, this book, the first book is so light and fun and funny and, you know, it's just a walk in the park. And then this book is more of a process book. For example, most chapters have at least eight optional exercises in the chapter, which wasn't in the first book. This book's also the first book I've written that talks about, okay, now you've got this partner. What do you do with them? Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that you don't become part of the three-fourths of divorces that happen when couples remarry with kids? Yep. Um, by the way, the, the rate for first marriages since the year 2000 is one in three, not 
one and two. So oh. that's gotten better, but it hasn't necessarily gotten better when both people bring kids to the union, which my husband and I both did, by the way. And so what I'm saying is, you know, you, you're facing these odds that seem dire, but they're only dire if you don't know what you're doing. Yes. And I, I really wanted a book that, I wanted a book that told me, look, this isn't a science book. It's an, a book that's written in a just conversational way, but you can trust it because it's heavily referenced. You can read all the references if you want to. And it's based on science. And here's what works for most people most of the time. And it won't work. Not everything in the book will work for you every time because we do have individual differences. But if one thing isn't working for you, you can tweak that. The big picture is going to be correct. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm curious, like, from your experience and, and all the studies and research that you've done, do single parents really have it harder dating and finding a partner? Or is that something they, it's self-perpetuating? Because we believe it is, then we make it that way. It really is harder. Um, one of the, it's, it's interesting. A single parent has interviewed me for a, a different podcast mm -hmm. and afterwards said, thank you so much for acknowledging how hard this is. Everybody else just says I'm making it up. Mm. It is hard, which, you know, we can do hard things. Having it be difficult does not mean it's insurmountable. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. I did it and I did it while having a PhD, which statistically is not a great selling point for women in the mating market mm -hmm. if they're heterosexual as I am. Uh, and I did it while having a child, not just a child, but a child with a special need. And, um, you know, I, I did it. And if I can do it, other people can do it. In fact, I know they're doing it because I'm getting the letters that say I've already started having more success having read this book. So, um, you know, I, I really want a message of hope out there. I remember one person approached me in real life. Um, who said that, she said, thank you for writing this book because I took a developmental psych course years ago that basically said remarriage is hopeless if children are involved. And she said, I feel hope for the first time. And there is hope. And it's realistic. You know, that's one of my favorite things about relationship science is it shows that hope is not idealistic it's realistic most people wind up happily married for a lifetime they might not get it right the first time but they do get it right and i believe that if somebody's listening to this show they have the motivation of what it takes to get that indeed absolutely so what would you say is like the biggest myth that ends up holding single parents back from finding success in love hmm the biggest myth of all. I think the biggest myth is actually one that applies to everyone, which is that men and women are exactly the same, except we have different <laughs> genitals. I call it uh, mating centrism. Mating, centri mating centrism is my term for believing that the other gender possesses the same mating psychology that you do. And we now have research in more than 37 different countries, including hunter-gatherer societies, and all the way up to the U.S., the U.K., you know, huge cities, that kind of thing. We've got these data that show that mating psychology is astoundingly similar around the world. 
and that there are large differences in the way that men and women see mating around the world. So mm. if you've got a same-sex orientation, you actually have a pretty good bead on um, how your target audience thinks and behaves. But if you have an opposite sex orientation, often you don't. And uh, compounding this is that a lot of the advice that's given right now caters to a male-driven mating psychology that does not serve either gender very well in some way. What do you mean by that? For example, uh, men around the world have both a short-term and a long-term mating strategy. Hmm. And I want to say, say that uh, your mileage may vary. There are some <laughs> men who, uh, there are some men who only fantasize sexually about the woman they're actually with, but that's unusual. So again, what I talk about is what's true of most people most of the time. Mm -hmm. So if this isn't true of any of your listeners, they can just take what applies to them and leave the rest. But most men have a short-term and long-term mating psychology, meaning that they have, for example, a higher number of lifetime sexual partners they would optimally desire. If you simply ask, how many partners would you like to have in a lifetime? Men around the world will give a much higher number than women around the world will give. Um, another example of this, who do you fantasize about? Around the world, women usually fantasize about the partner they're actually involved with. Men usually fantasize about not just other people, but lots of other people. Women usually fantasize about commitment, and men usually fantasize about not commitment. So that's a short-term mating strategy, and the fantasies, part of the reason they probably evolved is to guide our sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> you know, men are more likely, for example, to use prostitutes than women are. I think that's pretty laughably obvious. Well, the thing is, men also have a long-term mating strategy. It's very unusual for a man to just want to hit it and quit it forever. Some women think that, by the way. It's not true. Mm -hmm. If you look at remarriage, men are more likely to remarry, and they actively want to remarry, usually after a divorce. So it's not the case that men are anti-marriage or anti-commitment. It's just that men tend to be both, more both and than women tend to be. Women tend to be much more focused on, even when I'm having casual sex, I'm really kind of hoping it leads to a relationship. Or I had casual sex and I thought it was just casual, but now I want more. That's much more of a typical finding around female sexual and mating psychology. So... Um, you know, this is kind of a, a long answer I'm giving, but the, the big upshot here is that when women understand that a man asking you to go to bed with him does not necessarily mean I want a relationship with you, that helps women to protect themselves emotionally and to um, be more accurate about what they're expecting from relationships. When men understand that if a woman tells me this is just casual, there are no strings attached, she may mean that consciously, but research is pretty clear that she's likely to wind up wanting more. Again, your mileage may vary, but this is how it is for most people most of the time. And understanding that instead of fighting against it will really help you experience less pain and understand the people that you want to be with a lot better. Brilliant. I love this. And for our listeners, I, I just want to bring your attention to what Duana was saying. Most of the people, most of the time. This doesn't mean, oh, well, then I have to find the rare person who's exactly like me. It's how we work. 
it's fine that it works this way. It's just understanding that. So we don't assume they're going to work just like we do. That's the whole point is when we yeah, make those assumptions, absolutely. then we get hurt. Then we're like, why didn't they do this? That should have meant this to them. No, they're built differently. We work differently. And understanding that, then you don't have that false expectation. So it sets you up, like Duane was saying, it sets you up to be able to take care of that, manage that situation from the facts instead of the fantasy. Yeah, and you can really see where people's mating psychology lives with what makes us angry. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Men get very, well, for example, men get very angry at the idea that if they don't have a good enough job or if they don't have enough status or if they're not tall enough, maybe women won't like them. Women get very angry at the idea that if they're not so young anymore or if they're not super attractive or um, if, you know, they don't have some magical combination of youth and beauty that men aren't going to like them. Women get angry at being played sexually. Um, the idea that this guy got sex and, and he dangled commitment and I didn't get any commitment. Try putting that on male psychology. It's laughable. Men don't get angry that women dangle commitment and then only screwed them. Usually. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, it, again, I live in this really awkward psychological space too, Ken, because... <laughs> I'm very progressive and liberal, and I get a lot of blowback from people saying that I'm conservative and that I'm just making this up. And I would love for what I'm saying and what I have been saying these past few minutes to be not true, but it is. Shooting the messenger doesn't make it less true. It just makes you more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's really what we're... we're you know, our mission is, is to, to arm people with the best information and the, the facts so that then they can move forward in the way that best serves them, as opposed to going in there blindly or with false beliefs and false. That's why I was asking about myths, because there are there's tons of myths that yeah. people are going, no, this is how it works. Like, where did you get that? Like, <laughs> This is one of the craziest. Where did, well, I well, don't know. I don't know. Well, somebody said it once. Yeah. Yeah, so they had one experience like this, and you took an exception and turned it into the rule based on nothing because you wanted it or to be that way. Yeah, yeah, and here's another one. Well, you know, you're not grieving right. You need to be alone until mm. you're past this. You need to get all your ducks in a row, and you need to be happy by yourself before you can be happy with someone else. There is literally a 25-year-long study called the Virginia Longitudinal Study headed by Dr. Mavis Hetherington, and what she, what she was looking at was how do people overcome divorce? And she got 100 men and women who were getting divorced, and she studied them, their behaviors, their attitudes, interviews, videotape, audio tape. She studied them every year for 25 years. She didn't just study them. She studied whatever new partners they had. She studied whatever children were there. And if the new partner had children, she studied those kids. So this was a big study. And she didn't know what she was going to find. This was really quite exploratory. So she just wanted to know how, first of all, does everyone reintegrate and feel whole and healthy and happy after divorce? Are there some people who never, ever do? And sadly, yeah, there's a hefty percentage of people who never get past that bitterness. Um, 
And she wanted to know, okay, well, of the people who get better, what do they have in common? Because, again, what social science does really well is it tells us what works for most people most of the time, and it gives us a, a roadmap for what might work for us. And she pulls no punches in saying basically the, um, the following. This isn't a direct quote, but it's close. The only thing that helps men and women get through divorce to the other side of feeling whole, healthy, and happy again is getting into a new, healthy partnership. It's exactly the opposite, in other words, what I'm saying. It's exactly the opposite of what we all get told, that we have to be happy on our own first. And then I hear constantly from divorced and single parents who are saying, well, I'm not happy enough on my own yet. No, you're a human being, and human beings are herd animals. And we're happy with the pack, and we're happy especially with a life partner. And so, no, you're not likely to get happy and then find a partner. You're likely to get a partner and then get happy. I'm just letting that sink in for everybody that's listening. Because <laughs> that's, that's a game changer, right? And we do. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of our safe, oh, well, that's my excuse for why I'm not trying. I'm still doing yeah. this. I'm still, I'm still grieving. I'm still healing. And there's nothing that says, like you're talking about, that that can't go together and chances are it will go quicker together. Yeah, you could do, so sit there and, 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 you know, I talked to a woman yesterday, nine years. And you know what she wrote or what she said to me? She goes, well, my, my, uh, I've been married twice and it took about nine years to get over the one and then get married again. And it took nine years after that. And she puts, uh, this little parenthetical comment in there, she goes, which is the normal grieving period? And I was like, where did she get that? <laughs> it's like, no. well, okay. So literally it was so powerful for her that she wouldn't let herself move forward for nine years. Rather, she could have felt better in two. I don't know. But her brain had been told, hey, it takes nine years. That's normal. And so she was sitting there for literally almost a decade when she knew she wanted to be in another relationship. Yeah, and, you know, men strongly value youth and beauty, so effectively what's happening is she's taking years when she has higher options for finding a really desirable partner, and she's throwing those years away. Alternatively, I hear from people who want to move forward pretty soon after their divorce or after a spouse's death even, and the people around them are saying, it's too soon. You're not grieving right. Yep. You should be alone. You should get happy on your own first. It's not your relationship is destined to failure if you jump right in after an old one. And science just disagrees with that. If you're one of those folks who understands that in your core you want to be partnered happily and that you're, you've decided that your ex got as much time as they're going to get and you are now moving on even though you're still hurting. If you want to be a both-and kind of person who both grieves and finds a healthy new partnership, you can do that. And you can do that despite other people telling you that you can't. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So we're, we're at kind of the wrap-up part of the show. I call it Bring It All Home. And, and, and this is where I'm going to ask you to, to share with our audience some simple guidance or action items for, for the, the listeners to be able to, you know, take and apply right away. And, and where I'd like to start, Duena, is in regards to the single parents that are listening, what's the best, like, partnership advice that you have for them? If they just had one thing to walk away with, what would that be? If you can find and be someone kind and respectful 
your love life will go well. And if you can't, it won't. Nice. Thank you. That's the very, research, very powerful. Six, more than, yeah, more than 60 years of research shows that that statement is the rock bottom uh, foundational statement of all relationship science. You have to both be and find someone whose default mechanism in life is kindness and respect. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you're looking at divorce again. You're looking at unhappiness. Sometimes you're looking at abuse. And I don't want that to happen to anybody. Yeah. If, if not good enough was good enough for you, you'd still be with your ex. So let's move past that. And this time, let's make sure our partnership is founded on what we know works, which is kindness and respect. Just so seemingly obvious and yet not, right? <laughs> because we're not doing it. We're not paying attention to that. And we're, we're blinding ourselves to the things that are saying, this isn't what I, what I need. Maybe I'll fix it. Maybe it'll change. All these myths that that's going to shift. And it's like, like you said, no, it's, it's, that's the bare bones. Kindness and respect. If it's yep. not there, it's not going to show up later. It's not going to come up because he, now you, you've got a ring on your finger. That's not going to change that. That's who that person is. Yeah. As Maya Angelou, our former American poet laureate said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Mm-hmm. And as Dave Barry, a uh, humor writer here in the United States, mm -hmm. said, if they're nice to you but rude to the waiter, they're not a nice person. Yeah, because eventually they're going to treat you like they treated the waiter. That's correct. It's they will. Happen. You need to listen very carefully initially, not to how this person treats you, although, of course, that's important. But don't stop there. I've got a whole chapter in my book on who you can trust to give you the goods on this other person because you need to be careful. Your kids' lives are on the line. Your life is on the line. Everyone's happiness is on the line. And um, one of the things you need to make sure of is that you note how they talk about and to their ex, their own children if they have them, their mom, their dad if they're still alive, their friends, uh, their colleagues. You want somebody whose default is to be kind and respectful. And I have a lot of stories in this book from people who have made it through the other side and, and successfully repartnered. Nice. And one of, these, um, one of these folks said to me, you know, I didn't get it with my first spouse that kindness and respect were so important. With the, the man that I'm now engaged to, one of his colleagues, um, everything, all the Christmas gifts for the colleague's kids got stolen. So my fiance went out and bought all the Christmas gifts again for this other man's family. Yeah. Well, that's a winner. <laughs> yeah, know? that's probably a pretty good sign right there. Mm -hmm. With with my, my husband, um, when I met Vic, he had adopted a little boy from another country, and he was single parenting this little boy, and he also was working full time. And also, one Saturday, on Saturday every week, he did a 12-hour shift volunteering at a charity. That's a good guy. Look at the whole person. Who are they when they're not with you? How are they about other people? Can they disagree agreeably? All of this is absolutely vital. And you know what's really nice, though, Ken? Single parents get this. They completely get this. Readers of my first book who've never been married, sometimes they don't understand it yet. 
But people who've been through divorce, they completely identify with the kindness and respect thing. Yeah. Yeah, because they've experienced what they ha what happens when they don't have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same thing when I when I talk to like younger groups, like like college kids, for example. They're all still in that mindset of that'll never happen to me. Because they've never experienced yeah. the hardship in their relationships yet, and it's just like, oh, we're just dating or hooking up or whatever, and they're not like. No, this this will happen. It happens all over the place. Trust me, your parents are not like an anomaly. This is what's going to happen if you don't take action in the right direction. So, yeah, this is this is great advice, Duena. And I know we haven't even started. <laughs> we barely scratched the surface here. <clears throat> can you do me a favor? Can you can you let our listeners know how they can contact you, how they can learn more about what you're doing and access your book and so on? Absolutely. A really great place to go where you can see absolutely everything that I write is lovefactually with an F dot co. That's lovefactually.co. And there's some free content on there. There's a free downloadable workbook. If you want to do um, exercises that are related to this specific book, uh, goes right along with it. Same style and format for anybody who likes things to look nice. Beautiful, beautiful. And for everybody listening that was too busy to write all that down, don't worry. All you have to do is go to speakingapartnership.com, type in Duana's name, and you'll see all the links to access her on her show page. So it's super, super easy for you. Well, Duana, again, it's been so great to have you back. I'm so excited about this new book. And thank you for sharing these incredible insights. And thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me back on. I understand I was on about 200 shows ago. So this is great. Yes. And you're actually only the third repeat guest ever. Oh, well, I feel hugely complimented by that. And I'd like to become uh, a tri member if I <laughs> at some point. It's so much fun to be on your show. We have lots we could talk about. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. It's been great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. Be sure you catch the bonus stories from our guests on Follow Your Yes Friday. It's easy to do. Just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else either in person or on the web. Have a great day. And remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.